I don't know if you know, but this week is an anniversary, a 64th anniversary. It happened on June 2nd, 1953. Does anyone know, just raise your hand, what this anniversary is? Nobody, I didn't think so. It's the anniversary of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth. Now, why am I saying that? Obviously, we're not British subjects. We were once, but no longer. Because today, as we celebrate the ascension of Jesus Christ, it is, first and foremost, a coronation. A coronation of the king who abdicated his throne and came down to earth to take on human flesh, who is now ascending back into heaven to take his rightful place again as king of kings and lord of lords. You know, we get a picture of that throne room in John's book of Revelation where he captures what he sees for us. I want you to hear those words. John writes, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. You know, those are scenes that we get in the book of Revelation. Scenes of the ascended Christ. Scenes that I'm not really sure that we can picture and understand, just as I'm not sure that John can totally grasp, but wrote down for us what he saw. The ascension is an important part of our doctrines in the church. We just confessed it in the creed, that he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. But what does it mean for you and I, why is it such an important day that we celebrate it? What is it that we need to understand once more about the ascension of our Lord and Savior Jesus? Well, some of the backstory, as we heard in Luke, it has been 40 days since the resurrection. 40 days that Jesus has been with his disciples, that he has appeared to them, that he has given them proofs of him being alive that he would sit with them, that he would eat with them. He appears, and then he's gone, and then he appears, and then he's gone. And on this occasion, when he is with them, he takes them to the Mount of Olives. Turn in your connection or in the Bible, worship Bible in front of you to Acts chapter 1. I want you to follow along on a couple of verses as we look at these a little more in depth. Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Luke records this for us. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now you have to understand, if you were standing on the Mount of Olives and you turned around towards the vicinity of Jerusalem, you can see the city there. You can see the temple mount shining above it. And I'm sure as they looked at Jerusalem, the king's city where David's throne was, they wondered once again as they had wondered all along, what 
Jesus was going to do? Was He this earthly Messiah? Was He going to restore the kingdom to its greatness? And probably why they asked that question, Lord, at this time, are You going to restore the kingdom? But there's more that you can see also from the Mount of Olives. If you look at Jerusalem, you can also see the place of the skull. Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified 40 days earlier. And I wonder in their thoughts if they had remembered how Jesus was taken from them in those times by force. How He was lifted up at that time on a cross. For sure that they had seen Him now resurrected, as I said. They had those convincing proofs. They had seen His hands and His side. He was still the same Jesus that they had known, that they had spent three years with. But I'm sure still in this moment, they are struggling to put all of these things together as Jesus is with them. Luke goes on in verse 9 to say this, after he had said this, talking about the kingdom, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. A cloud hid him. He had to be removed from their sight now permanently. Like I said, with the appearances, he would be there, he would go away, he would come again, he would go away. But this time he was going back into heaven, going back to his rightful place, going back as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm sure in their minds it was more for them to struggle and with and try to understand. And that's why they kept looking into heaven, kept wondering what's next with Jesus, what is going to happen next, what is going to happen in our lives And Luke goes on in verse 10, he says this, They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. You know, doesn't it echo back over those 40 days to Easter Sunday? When there were two angels that once again said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you stand here looking into the sky? I wonder sometimes if angels lose their patience with us. Because they've heard all this. He's told them. Again, we just heard that in Luke. This is what I've told you. We're so slow to understand, slow to believe, as Jesus said, all that the Scriptures had to say. But he says to them, look, guys, it's time to get going. This same Jesus, the Jesus that you know, the Jesus that you have lived with for three years, the Jesus that you have just seen go up into heaven bodily will come back in the same way. He will come down from heaven bodily. You will get to see him someday. You will understand this. You will be there. And so then what does Luke capture for us in the end of his gospel and not Acts? He simply says this, they returned worshiping him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. And I wonder today, as we look at the ascension, as we talk about this being the coronation of Jesus, I wonder if we are met and we hear this message, the message that the scriptures tell us, with great joy and with praising God? Or is our life so busy? 
Is there so much in our life, so many struggles, so many heartaches, so many things going on in our lives that it just seems one of those things, a doctrine that we confess somewhere out there, something that we say in the creed? And do we really understand why the disciples were rejoicing and why you and I should rejoice? The disciples were rejoicing for one reason that I want to give you. Part of it comes from the Old Testament. It happened when a king was coronated. When there was a coronation of a new king, there was great celebration that would go on in all the land. Great celebration because God was bringing for his people a new course, a new beginning for them. Blessings would be poured out on them by this new king. In 1 Kings 1, Verse 48, the coronation of Solomon, it says this, And all the people went up after him, playing pipes and rejoicing greatly, so much so that the ground shook with the sound of their rejoicing. You see, the disciples understood at the coronation of a king, there was new hope for them. That the king was someone who could lead the people in the ways of God. That They prayed that he would be a king of righteousness for them that God would show favor on his people. Truly for those disciples rejoicing at Jesus going into heaven, this King of kings and Lord of lords, they knew that he was the victorious king, that he was the king who overcame death and the devil and the grave, that he was the righteous king who had led them in the ways of God, that he was the one who had just promised them to pour out blessings on them, to stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed from on high by the Holy Spirit. Much for them to rejoice about, much for them to celebrate, much for them to praise. But again, what about us? Like I said, is life just so busy that we sit here this morning and go, well, that's nice to know. Those are interesting facts. I say that because many years ago, Norman Rockwell painted a picture that I want you to see on the screen. It's a picture entitled, Lift Thine Eyes. Now, I enlarged some of it for you in the back so that you could see certain things because I know it's a little small to look at. First of all, this is the sermon that's going to be preached, Lift Thine Eyes. And it's a position that Rockwell painted that above this sermon title is a picture of the ascended Christ in his glory looking down on all of his kingdom of the universe. But down below are people going about their everyday life. Notice they are all turned downward, all looking at the cracks in the sidewalk, all busy with the problems that they have in this life. Like I said, I wonder sometimes if that's not us, if we don't see this moment as we celebrate the ascension as a moment for joy and for praising in our lives. There's more going on here than just a coronation, much more. For Jesus, ascending into heaven means something more for you and for me. It means first and foremost for us an acquittal of our sins. An acquittal that Jesus has taken away those sins. I want you to see this verse on the screen that Paul writes to us in Romans 8.34. He says this, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Oh yes, much more than just a coronation. 
Jesus Christ at the right hand of God intercedes for us. And maybe we don't understand that language, but in the ancient world, what would happen? When a judge or when a king would sit on his throne and a subject was brought before him to judge, there would be a scribe on his left and a scribe on his right. If the king would find the subject guilty of a crime, his name was written by the scribe on the left. But if he was found to be acquitted, his name would be written by the scribe on the right. So it is that Jesus, the ascended Lord, who is at the right hand of the Father, who has written our names on his scribe's letter, the book of life, who has acquitted us of our crimes by his death and resurrection, who has wiped out forever our sins in the face of God eternal. That while the devil would accuse us, while the devil would level at us and say, look at your people, look at how they forsake you, look at how they disobey you, Jesus stands as the one who says, I have paid for their sins. I have paid for their crimes. Their name is written on my scroll. They are acquitted. Surely that is a reason that you and I can rejoice today at the ascension of Jesus Christ. What else can we rejoice at in this celebration? Well, we can rejoice once again in the authority of Jesus, our Lord and King. We know as we look out over the world and we see its turmoil and we see its destruction, we watch these world events take place and unfold to our dismay, to our disheartenment. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times we put our trust and hope for the future in world governments. We hope that they will set things right, that they will create peace for us, that all will be well by negotiations and the things that go on. But part of what we celebrate today is that the throne room of heaven is occupied by Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It is not occupied by a world leader, not an Alexander the Great, not a Julius Caesar, not a Napoleon, not an Adolf Hitler, not a party from our political realm. It is occupied by the risen Lord and King, Jesus Christ. His throne is not up for grabs. He rules this universe by His power, by His grace, and by His love, and we are His subjects that bend the knee and pay him homage. You know, maybe you know the story of the Hallelujah Chorus in Handel's Messiah, why we stand every time the Hallelujah Chorus is performed. Because at that first performance, King George II, when it came to those words, King of kings, Lord of lords, the Lord God omnipotent reigns, and he shall reign forever, stood. But I don't know if you know what he said at that time. He said the following words. He said, Jesus is Lord, and I am his subject. Truly, as Paul writes in Philippians, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question is not will we. The question is a matter of when. Do we bow the knee in honor and gratitude to a gracious king who has risen from the dead, who has taken away our sins, who has given us forgiveness that we give joy and praise to? Or will it be eventually the return of that great judge who has conquered us as we refuse to hear his word, refuse to receive his grace, refuse to do his will, and we will bow the knee trembling, knowing that we have disobeyed? 
Jesus is in control of all things, all things that we see. We need to remember that much of what we see is the result of our disobeying, of our going our own way, of not heeding his word, of not listening to his commands to love God and to love one another. We create these situations but never think that Jesus is not still in control of all that goes on in our worlds and will bring it all to right in the end. And then finally, something else that we can rejoice at this day as we celebrate the ascension. The presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord, with us. The promise that he made to us. You know, I don't know about you, but I remember in my college days where we would debate as you went into a class of how many minutes you had to wait if a professor didn't show up to stay in class. Usually it was kind of the 10-minute rule. We joke about that here often in meetings. If someone who's called a meeting is late, how long do we have to wait until we leave it? There was a prof one day who came into his classroom and he had his hat and he put it down on his desk and he went off to get some coffee because it was some minutes before the class. While he was having coffee, he got into a conversation, forgot the time and realized that it had been over 10 minutes. He went racing back to his classroom only to find it empty. Well, the next day when his class was there, he chastised them. He said simply this, when my hat is here, I am here. The following day when he entered his classroom, there were the 26 desks for his students, each one with a hat on it. (laughs) They got the point. Jesus is not an absent king, not away from us. He has not left us simply a hat, but he has left us his true body and blood. This same Jesus, as the angel said, The Jesus who is both God eternal and human flesh bound together in eternity promises to be with us, promises to be at the table when we come together to celebrate his gift of communion, promises to be gathered with us wherever two or three are gathered in his name, promises that we will not be left as orphans, that he will be here to the close upon ages of ages, something that we can truly celebrate this day of our ascended King and Lord. You know, I know how troubling life can be, how many heartaches there are, how many tragedies take place, how we struggle through all of these things, how our eyes can always be turned downward and inward and we can wonder if there's hope or there's joy or there's anything that we have to live with and what will the future hold for us as we think and we watch the world unraveling. But today, as we celebrate the ascension, I want you once again to lift your eyes up to see the King of kings and Lord of lords, to see the one who has acquitted you and written your name in his book of life, that your sins are forgiven, that there is a place for you in heaven, the one who is authority over all things, who reigns supreme. And the one who is present with us, to not leave us as orphans, to come to us and to comfort us and to give us his strength and his love. These are things that we too, like the disciples, can be filled with joy this day as we celebrate. And these are the things that can transform our world by his power, by his truth, by his hope, and by the fact that he reigns forever. Will you pray with me?
O risen Christ, ascended Lord, we give you glory and praise on this day that you truly are King of kings and Lord of lords. May we, your subjects here, bow our knee in honor and in praise of you. May we be filled once again with joy at all you have done for us, that you are at the right hand of God and you intercede for us. You watch over us. You comfort us. You are with us through all things. May our eyes be lifted once again, that we may praise you and give you glory, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, our eternal God who lives and reigns now and forever. Amen.